That's if we, if we even summed up our talk today, it really has a lot to do with the meaning. Like what does sex mean to us? What is relationship and love? What, what does it mean when a relationship gets complicated? Um, what does it mean to really study what's going on inside? What does it mean to work with a body memory, right? And, and meaning is such a, it's like a limitless place of exploration. Okay, Macy, thanks for being here. Oh, my pleasure. I'm really, really looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, me as well. All right, cool. So maybe to, to start out, um, if you could just tell us a bit about sort of who you are and what you do, just as a sort of general introduction and we can take it yeah and orient people well I am a psychotherapist and a certified sex therapist and I'm the creator of uh, I guess I would call it a sexual healing awareness practice rooted in mindfulness called passion and presence and my work centers primarily with couples in long-term relationships and how they can use kind of what, what arises, particularly the challenges, the erotic challenges they bump into as fertilizer for healing and growth. And I, I call that practice, which is rooted in mindfulness, awakened intimacy. Hmm. So I think I'll start there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's great. So it's, it's specifically through the sexual relationship that you sort of access basically everything in the in the relationship right yeah um but i'll tell you the people who've gone through my retreats mm -hmm. have said to me you know this is so much bigger and this really is about mindful relationship because we start to study how do we organize what adaptive strategies do we rely on when things are complicated or we feel vulnerable or inadequate or turned on um, that somehow get in the way of being fully expressed or intimate with our partner. And so the, the processes and the practices are not so much like hands-on learning the mechanics of oral sex. I, I don't, that's not what I specialize in. It's, it's, it has a deeply psychological component that's looking at which parts of us are engaging and how. Mm -hmm. And that those skills and that practice, we can take into any domain. Yeah. Yeah. And why, why do you focus on the sexual aspects particularly? Yeah. Well, if we're going to talk in terms of transformation, you know, there's mm -hmm. a, a few kind of high octane methods to wake up you know psychedelics are one which is mm -hmm. your thing um and there's you know many different paths but there's something about sex that is one of those gateway experiences like birth and death where um where we're not in our right mind meaning our usual way of, of going and about things in mm -hmm. the world and strangely enough, you know, there's a bit of a paradox here. If we're with someone for a while, 
there are ways in which we grow more comfortable and we feel like we can show up more and be less inhibited in some ways. But often what happens sexually is that sex becomes more naked. Like there's nowhere to hide mm -hmm. our deeper self, the self behind our mask, the, the, the self behind our performance strategy. And so it's confronting in that way, you know, that we start to, it reveals more quickly and more clearly aspects of ourselves that we wouldn't ordinarily see um, in non-sexual spaces. Mm -hmm. So that's really why it has, the erotic portal has the potential to, to accelerate our growth process in very unique ways. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's there's a quote from from your book from John Wellwood, who I think he was a, a big influence on you, at least yeah. in, in your early years. If you don't mind, I'd like to just just read it really quickly. Yeah. So he says, instead of looking to a relationship for shelter, we could welcome its power to wake us up in those areas where we are asleep and where we avoid naked direct contact with life. Well, you picked the quote that really, <laughs> really sums it up. I mean, that's really where I take my inspiration. Yeah, because mm -hmm. yeah. there, there are, you know, and we can hide in sex, and we can go to sleep in sex. Definitely, most yeah. people do. We default into these routines. We check out. Um, we find, you know, ways to circumvent our more sensitive hotspots so that it's, it, it is um, a refuge. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, and and those are all good things. I mean, I don't want to make. I don't want to go into some duality of that's bad, this is good. Mm -hmm. It just means that we're not likely to expand in the same way or wake up in the same way as going towards what's more vulnerable, what's more unknown mm -hmm. uh, yeah. in us. Yeah. So I guess the, the sense I'm getting is it's almost like our intimate relationships are maybe a microcosm or a portal into our inner world and within our intimate relationships that specifically like the sexual encounter is an even more focused microcosm and even bigger portal. Is that, is yeah, that you're, yeah. you're good at this. I should have you be my <laughs> spokesperson. That's very clear. Very okay. clear. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so, so in that sense, it's like, I'm just trying to put myself in the mind of someone who's, who's coming to, a workshop or to, to come work with you are these people who are primarily motivated by a sort of spiritual psychological questioning or it's mainly like sex isn't working what can i do about it you know or, or where where do people generally fall on that spectrum on that spectrum yeah all along that spectrum, but gee, it's a dream for me when people come with the um, former, you know, that they're already in, on some kind of growth track, are living a kind of semi or aspire to live a wakeful life and have other practices and are going, wow, you know, I never thought of bringing it here or I've started to bring it here and I want to go further. Yeah. But really, the truth is that. And then I'm going to contradict myself in a minute that, <laughs> you know, people are most motivated when they're suffering, when there's a problem to get some relief. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's another way we can kind of um, 
move beyond some of our inhibitions. Like for most people, addressing sexuality with a therapist, a coach, a tantra practitioner, or in a group setting is fairly daunting. Mm -hmm. And that does stop many people in their tracks just to go out loud and reveal what, you know, is typically pretty private territory and we don't talk openly about sex but if we're having enough difficulty and it's meaningful enough to us mm -hmm. and we want something we are likely then you know to go forward so it's it's yeah. that full range now here's where i'm contradicting myself this practice is not for people like the 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 people on the fringes in some obscure subgroup that struggle around sex. It's my experience that <clears throat> we all have trouble here because we grow up by and large in a sex negative culture and a shame based, shame based culture. Mm -hmm. But even beyond that, which is a huge part of what inhibits our sexual vitality, we don't, really revise our models of sexuality at different seasons of our lives, mm -hmm. whether it's about maturing or it's just a different phase for having a health crisis or we've started a new business or we're experiencing a pregnancy or uh, new parenting, like sex is not always going to be top of mind. And there may be more, limits around what we can experience together. So mm -hmm. to have a path and practice around sexuality assumes this is my starting point, my baseline, is that it's a confronting area for all of us. It gets more naked over time. And I think that's part of the design, the, the evolutionary design that we start to see what was in there anyway, but is rendered visible when we're in a sexual state. And then we have all of these expectations for what sex should be that we may or may not be able to meet or want to meet, but we don't have an alternative vision of what eroticism, lifelong eroticism can be. And mm -hmm. we tend to think of sex as like a slow fade as we age or become more familiar with someone as opposed to an ongoing opportunity for renewal, even potentially erotic expansion in the face of aging, familiarity, genital decline. So that said, there may be people in that group of seekers who are doing just fine sexually and are, are just like, what is this? Or yeah, I wanna jump on board with a sexual growth practice, but, but, but it's, it's a, a path. Mm -hmm that we can um, take with us again on our across the lifespan as we meet the inevitable changes slash challenges to our erotic life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like in, in definitely in our culture and in, in well, most parts of the world, as far as I can tell, the sexuality is really it's sort of cordoned off in this strange sort of space where we don't really talk about it. It's something we all do to some degree, but it's, it's not a part of like quote unquote respectable life. 
you know, and, and it's very rarely is it considered a path to growth, to self-realization, to, you know, even spiritual connection. And, and I think, I mean, that's, that's a perspective I first encountered through, through Tantra. And I, I know um, in places you're, you're, you've differentiated yourself from saying, no, I'm not, Tantra isn't my thing. I do something else, but it does seem like there is a lot of intersection in terms of just basically you know, many spiritual traditions view our bodies as sort of an impediment to to growth and to realization. It's sort of like it's all, it's about the spirit. It's about sort of transcending the body, reaching mm-hmm. some quote unquote higher realm. And Tantra says, no, like our body is the vehicle through the mm-hmm. body is is it's you know it's the quick path to enlightenment. Um, and I guess I'm I'm curious how do you how do you see yourself in relationship to tantric practice and and i mean yeah. tantra in itself is a huge concept and it can mean 10 million yeah. different things you know but I, so yeah. I guess without worrying about the details of like what exactly tantra is just how do you see yourself in that sort of realm of of spirituality uh personal growth and and sexuality like how do you see mm-hmm. those those combining yeah okay i love the question and i'm going to do my best to answer it and like 10 things are co-arising and i may forget most of them so let's see i want to start by saying that while sexuality is an embodied experience hopefully like if we're going to experience pleasure we have to be at home inside ourselves not watching ourselves or letting our mind kind of be the driver Um, And at the same time, what I love about eroticism is that it's so multidimensional. It is of the body, but it is also of the mind, like what we fantasize about, what meaning we put on sexual experience. It's certainly potentially of the heart and connection uh, and imagination informs our sexuality, our desire, our turn on. Um, So while I'm a somatic therapist and teach people how through body scans and mindfulness and mindful touch to really be present to what's happening, I'm also interested in what's going on in these other realms, the connection between the imagination, the mind. Um, So I'll start there. Secondly, and maybe I'll zigzag between similar, different, similar, different, um, while saying I am not by any mean an expert and actually on my to-do list this year is to take some Tantra workshops. So I, you know, I'm interested in doing my own work too and exploring lots of different things. Um, but the way I work with mindfulness is, is truly goal-free. Now in Tantra, there is also, let's not rush to orgasm or penetration. Let's hang out, let's linger, let's be in the experience. Let's feel all the sensation. Let's play with the energy. Let's make some kind of connection between heart and genitals and maybe have some circuit that's going on and play with polarity. That's where there's a big difference because my work does not have any kind of a practice except to stop, study and share when you run into a trigger Mm -hmm. or you start to dissociate. It's not trying to... um, 
it doesn't have a framework that the best sex happens when we can unite certain cycles or, or work with polarities. Um, it's really about sensing the erotic thread, hopefully that's within and between us and following impulses so that ultimately we're in an unscripted call and response, which mm -hmm. could look any way. It could look like rough sex. It could be kinky sex, which I know in Tantra, there's a lot more kinky stuff going on too, but it could be fast. It could be, um, it could be any, anything. I mean, I really see Eros as like, it lives at a buffet and we can pick and choose and we're nourished in lots of different ways. And some of it may be more animalistic and some of it may be more transpersonal. So I don't have any kind of hierarchy of like, cool sex is better than hot sex, which is mm -hmm. sometimes the way I've heard Tantra described, like, like we don't want to get carried away. Not that mm -hmm. I want us to get carried away either. I just don't say, you know, this is how we want to work with sexual energy. It's mm -hmm. really, it's really open. Mm -hmm. But again, the pieces of we don't have to get anywhere. Let's feel into what's here. Let's experience whatever is starting to arise within us. Um, and, and, oh, and here's a difference. Like, from the little bit I've read of Osho and some other kinds of practices, part of the, the spiritual transformation is working with sexual energy per se, mm -hmm. sometimes transmuting it, sometimes disidentifying from it. So we're not kind of pulled into something um, like the energy, almost like Kundalini kind of unfolding and building more capacity to hold charge mm -hmm. is part of the spiritual practice. That's, that's not, I think that's really cool. Um, it's not how I'm, when I mean transformation, mm -hmm. when I mean transformation, and let me see if I can even define what I mean. Um, I mean that the impediments that we have, the limiting beliefs, the expectations, the internal models, um, the automatic habits, that prevent us from having open access to what I call our pure erotic potential, which is just our unlimited creativity to mm -hmm. go in any direction. That working through those, that becomes so obvious, like I long to have this experience, but I'm too shy and inhibited to go there. I wanna ask for this thing, but I'm silencing myself instead. Mm -hmm. I'm getting annoyed because my partner is doing this thing that I don't like, but I don't know how in a connecting way to shape things more to my liking or the shame is taking over or this history of abuse so that this is becoming a painful reenactment. And so I'm dissociating, going into more erotic absence, making myself more vulnerable to injure, injure 
injury rather than um, installing a different experience that helps antidote my old wounds. So in this case, we're using mindfulness, yes, to experience novelty and more pleasure, but to also observe how are we being in this experience? The things we usually don't see because they're so automatic that are preventing us from having an enjoyable and connecting experience. And those are the things that this practice is designed to transform, not mm -hmm. so much work with energy. Yeah. Is that yeah. helpful? Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. It seems to me like it's almost two different approaches to a very similar place. In mm. fact, because I'm a psychotherapist, my approach also is very psychological. Yeah. So that psycho-spiritual is true, truly the the marriage there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And could could you tell us a bit more about the the stop study share? Yeah, that seems to, to be sort of the the heart of it, right? It is the heart of it, and we can study anything at all. The idea is, you know, that often, you know, if you think of racers, like doing a sprint the whistle goes off they're primed and ready and it's like ready set go or the gun goes off mm -hmm. and we run until we're done um and many people approach sex that way okay we've gotten launched and we're going to keep going until whatever we consider to be the finish line mm -hmm. and we don't really exercise our right or even see it as having much value to pause along the way and check in. Mm -hmm. But if we go fast, by definition, we're gonna be on automatic. And automatic means we're gonna have the same experience again and again, because automatic means by force of habit. And if we don't wanna be conscious of what's going on, automaticity is our best friend. If we want to be conscious and we wanna have different experiences, and we don't want to be stuck in an avoidance cycle, which happens when sex is not satisfying. And so why would we want to have it, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and so if we're going to lap around the track doing the same thing, it sets us up to expect the same thing every time. And we go in kind of protected and therefore it's not good for us and nothing shifts. And the only way, we can have a different outcome is to pause. So there's all kinds of places where we might pause. Mm -hmm. um, we might pause if we find ourselves um, thinking a lot and very distracted. We might pause if we notice we're not having a good time and we're kind of pushing through. We might pause if we realize we're, we're like, a, over controlling, like we're really kind of directing. We might pause if we're feeling anxious. We might pause if um, we start to feel exposed. So anytime we feel triggered, anytime an emotion is coming up, anytime we're not having a good time, and you know, on and on and on. Or or often like some of the structured practices might be. I'm going to pause whenever I notice that I'm hiding. 
you know, like that's what I'm going to put my attention on. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to out myself whenever I catch myself hiding and study what's going on. So the project of making love or having sex um, stops for this kind of, let me explore. And then if I discover something in that moment, I have different choices. You know, I can share it. And therefore, we're just using sex just to the point of something interesting happens and we're going to study it, not to get off. Mm-hmm. It's fine to want to get off. And it's time to just, it's fine to just have sex. But if we want to use the erotic portal for healing and growth and to become more wakeful, there are times when we might say, we're just going to be erotic until something comes up. We run into a barrier. We're hiding. Um, we're getting resentful. We feel pressured to make something happen. We're, we're getting performative, you know, whatever. The, and so we can say, in this practice, I'm going to put the attention spotlight on this thing. And anytime I catch it, I'm going to stop, study what's going on share and make some kind of adjustment Mm -hmm. and this is essential whether it's more like i just want to i just want to know what this is about and it, it and i can only discover it in this way it's also helpful if we're healing from abuse or erotic wounding because adjusting is a corrective to what's happened before that was wounding. Mm-hmm. So we want to uncouple now from then through adjusting and then savoring and noticing the effect of the adjustment. And sometimes we go right back into making love. And sometimes we just hold each other and go, that was powerful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes, you know, we do this in a really kind of, um, I'm going to say more structured way where we really take time for this kind of as an exercise. Sometimes we just get so good at this that we just are sort of doing this internally. We don't have to actually say, wait, hold up. Mm -hmm. Or we pause for a second, we make a little adjustment and then we continue. So it's, it's specific to the context and the intention. Yeah. Yeah. And the, so if we've, say as a couple we've identified you know a dynamic is is like you say hiding right so i notice i'm hiding i say wait a minute i'm hiding let's stop and then the study bit i found really interesting where it's kind of like if there's something that's triggering me that's making me hide i might even say hey can you do that again like yes. do it again i really want to focus on that i really want to zoom in on like what am i feeling where am i feeling it what is this bringing up for me is there any kind of memory any kind of association and really connecting with with like the body's memory right and so it's it's yes. a sort of joint exploration of like the two of us together are are navigating this terrain and trying to figure out like where the hell are we and what are we doing basically i know this is bizarre but i'm actually getting teary hearing your reflection it is so spot on mm-hmm. it's like you so have it so the study can happen in a couple of different ways Mm-hmm. What you just described, which is my favorite, is mindful co-investigation. In other words, we're going to do a little joint research project mm-hmm. where you're going to do the thing that just triggered me or say the words or touch me in some place or make a suggestion 
and I just left my body when I heard it or felt shame or whatever. And I'm going to get mindful so that I can slow down enough and be attuned to my inner life and what is happening frame by frame. Mm -hmm. In other words, interrupting automaticity. That's what mindfulness does. And it cultivates our capacity to observe our experience. So I would get mindful for a little bit. That can happen really quickly if I'm used to doing that, or I may need to actually do a formal tune into my breath for a minute or two and, and just get here and then signal you to do or say that thing as I observe what arises bottom up in my experience. Mm -hmm. And very often, very often, it's really hard to get information because it's so packed away. You know, we've spent a lifetime making sure these things are not conscious. So I, I want to say to anyone who tries this out and finds it difficult, that's normal. It's fine. It, it, you know, sometimes we get just a smidge, sometimes like, whoa, we see a whole memory and or words come into our head or we suddenly get like this is a whole package that this is connected to. Mm -hmm. The other way that we study is self-study. So it's not we're in this joint research project. It's like, hold up, something's happening. My breath is changing. I'm getting really tight. Or I can feel as you're going down on me, like so exposed. And this part of me that wants to um, go away or you just asked me do i like this mm -hmm. and i'm not liking this but i don't want you to know i don't even want to acknowledge we're doing this you know this is mm -hmm. the hiding part or i'm mm -hmm. loving this i'm ecstatic but i'm sort of like expressionless about it or i'm making no sounds you know whatever for us is oh maybe i'm hiding so that might be that I just say, hold up, let me just check this out. And I get mindful and I linger with either an activation, meaning like a feeling of anxiety or upset or fear or shame, or I go to some something that's happening in my body, like my jaw is getting really tight mm -hmm. um, or the breath is constricted. And I linger with it longer than we usually would and just wait to see, do any other words or emotions come with that or images or memories. Um, and that's the kind of thing that I would share because it's all in the spirit of discovery. Mm -hmm. And it's in the spirit. I don't want to forget about the sex part. You know, sometimes people go, well, you know, so, so will this make our sex life better? Well, hopefully, yes, because if I'm not hiding so much, there's so much more potential. Mm -hmm. If I'm not needing to control so much, if I understand what it's doing and how it's keeping me safe, and I find other ways to feel safe. I can experience so much more. So, so the dividends go both in, I'm a freer human, I'm more wakeful, I'm not so um, bound by my wounding, 
Mm-hmm. And I can show up and have more capacity for sexual aliveness yeah. and creativity. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's important for to to just underline that it's it's not necessarily just for, you know, trauma survivors. Like this is for or 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 it is, but we're all trauma survivors. Like just <laughs> just based on the society we live in, you know, and it's it's it it, it might be possible to get an idea of like this is only for like really intense sort of i don't know sexual dysfunction or or different functioning or you know however we want to call it but i, I think it's it's really applicable to to pretty much all of us you know and it's uh, we're just so conditioned to to like you say like you just start the race and you go until you're done and that's it and there's there's a whole world of possibility there that we're missing out on if we do that yeah like let me give you another example and it's one that i have to work with all the time and I'm still very much in process with it you know Mm -hmm. like we besides erotic wounding and trauma and the imprints we encode around sex negativity particularly for cisgendered female identified and male identified people um, sex is very gendered and, and very scripted And without even knowing how conditioned we are, we just play our parts. And it's, and those parts are limiting to, you know, whatever your gender expression is. Um, In fact, the more fluid you are, perhaps the less bound by these scripts you are. But if particularly if you're cisgendered, there's so much heteronormativity and scripting. And even when I work with queer couples, and they describe getting performative, they'll say, well, I'm making sounds like I've seen on porn. Like we all we all start to model and mimic because we're, we're those are the only examples we have, right? We're not yeah. taught, you know, just feel what's arising and just go with it. Um, mm-hmm. And that's true in every area. So, so if we decide that we are going to deconstruct or look into when that conditioning is and scripting is throwing is showing up i mean that that again is quite a project and there's so many subtleties that start to emerge like there's more and more and more to catch and see Mm -hmm. so that's an example that comes to me that's not about some egregious kind of wounding or a trauma history but everyday folk you know have a lot they can discover through the erotic portal yeah, for, for me personally, there's a really interesting complication there, which is that the the sort of social scripting to me is like, it's not all wrong. Like there is a part of it that does feel, well, there's a part of it that feels like deeply misguided and just, yeah, just bad. But there's also a a, a sense in which it's it's based on a certain... I don't know. I mean, you can call it a biological reality. You can call it an energetic reality of, you know, Shakti Shiva, yin and yang, whatever it is. Where for for me personally, I think for a lot of, um, I don't know, a lot of men who who I know at least who who are maybe more on the sort of sensitive, caring, stereotypically female side of things. Like I I think for for me, there's been. Um, for a long time, sort of a gut level reaction against the social conditioning. 
and it, I sort of took it too far in the other direction of like, well, that's obviously wrong. So it must be the opposite. And it's like, well, no, wait a minute. Um, you know, it's, it, it, it's not mindlessly following the social scripting, but it's also not mindlessly rejecting it. It's just tuning into to the actual moment and to really just getting rid of the noise and, and connecting with that, that sort of spontaneous pleasure and joy, like the essence of the, the encounter and, and following that rather than any sort of idea of what should or shouldn't be. And, and what I, what I found is when I do that, I often do get to a place where from the outside might, might look socially scripted, but the feeling is very, very, very different, mm-hmm. you know? And so to me, that's a big shift of like, rather than looking from the outside and trying to work my way inward, it's like, going from the inside and however it, it expresses itself in the moment, like that's okay. Yeah. I, I really like what you're saying and, and thank you for sharing that. Mm-hmm. And it feels like it's something like that could be an ongoing conversation, right? Yeah. It, it has many rinses. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so what, what I appreciate. So there's, there's sociocultural and then there's individual personal. Mm-hmm. And uh, what I think I understand is that um, the antipathy you've had to, for shortcut, toxic masculinity, you know, something that might be kind of oppressive and involve more taking and more aggression and um, dominance, anything oppressive, um, has in its own way at times been disempowering and, and in some ways not letting you source what is authentically arising in an experience Mm -hmm. so that it's not so much the behavior, like you said, from the outside, it might look like this. It's more um, is the behavior a conditioned response and some kind of um, reference point that we're trying to match ourselves again, that mm-hmm. outside in, that is oppressive, or is this sourcing what is here a liberation mm-hmm. and allowing you to integrate many more parts of you rather than exiling out some parts of you. And for that, I'm like with you 100%. I think we have a multitude of erotic parts of parts generally, but since we're on this conversation, erotic parts and that we start to judge some and we are, and, and like we leave some outside the door and then we're struggling to try to be something And then feeling like we're failing short or yay, we did it, but it's not intrinsically satisfying, nor is it integrative. And so what I'm hearing you say is that you are integrating parts of yourself self that you may have disowned or exiled because you didn't want to enact the shadow side of some of that. Mm -hmm. And it was limiting. And now you have more range. Mm-hmm. And that is liberating and feels good. And ultimately, if it feels good, it's integrative, it's limiting and expansive, and it's consensual. 
more power to you. Yeah. 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 And, and sort of integral to, to all of this is the, is the body memory, right? And that's something that I think is because we're used to think of memory as it's a cognitive thing or it's, it's a computing thing. Right. And it's like, it's a, it's a more or less conscious process and you just try to remember something and then you do, but there's in, in the emotional and psychological realm and particularly in the, the sensual realm, there's a whole nother aspect of memory, which often is, is unconscious. It's completely hidden from our conscious minds, but it's still somehow stored in the body and accessed through the body. Yeah. So I'm, I'm be really curious to hear more about sort of how that works and maybe even more than that, like, what do we do about it? Right. So we've, we've stopped, we've, um, you know, we've, we've, uh, sorry, I'm blanking on it. Stop. Study, share. Study. Yeah. We've stopped, we've studied, we've shared. And it's like, then how do I sort of rework that body memory? What do I do mm -hmm. with that in order to reprogram mm -hmm. myself? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So how does it work? And then what do we do? So yeah. the way it works is that living organisms from the single cell amoeba to complex adaptive systems like humans anticipate the future. We learn what kind of world are we in and our body then organizes in such a way to help us navigate that world. Mm -hmm. So one of the examples I give a lot to explain this is there was some research done in the 30s on little, poor little single cell amoebas where they were shocked. I don't know why scientists love to use electric shock. It seems to be a, a favorite. And so, as you can imagine, you know, you're floating in your little peaceful Petri dish and all of a sudden zap, like just anyone listening and you mm -hmm. see what your body does. Mm -hmm. And after that, you know, moment of startled, stunned contraction, they start to fill out again. But if you do that repeatedly, they will remain in this constricted, braced for the threat kind of posture for the rest of their lives. Now, mm. what's so interesting about this research is that amoebas don't have a brain. Yeah. So how is the learning happening? It's happening in their bodies. That bodies do have a kind of knowing, an intuitive knowing. Am I safe? What's called for here? What happens when I use my voice? Um, what happens when I take up space, um, you know, all kinds of examples. And so based on this early emotional learning for humans or implicit learning for all organisms beneath conscious processing, it's like the body is the storage vault of all of our prior experiences and living systems, I said, anticipate the future. So we act as if what is coming is what's gone before. So if you wanna know what you've learned, what your body learned, even if your mind has no idea about it, you wanna work with the body and you wanna see what is the body doing. That's why a second ago I said, if I notice my jaw is tightening, I'm not breathing, there's some constriction in my throat or my arms feel rubbery, very often the body 
is getting ready for something or it has some memory of some kind. And if mm -hmm. you do that same kind of lingering, sometimes the body will reveal. Um, and um, much of my work grows out of my career as a trainer of Hakomi Mindful Somatic Psychotherapy of which The Body Reveals was one of the original books of the founder of this work. Mm -hmm. So the body speaks in its own language as symptoms, as pain, as excessive charge, as constriction, as mobilization, as some kind of chronic tension, as butterflies, as um, sort of energetic kind of buzziness, whatever it is. So the first thing is to notice that that's happening. The second is to assume that there's information there. Mm -hmm. The third is to slow down and study it and see what you can discover. Now, how do you transform that? There are two ways that I know of, that, that I use. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there may be, there's tons of ways. Um, one is through consciousness, like, when we become aware that we are gripping, we can just go, do I need to grip? Is anything bad happening right now? Or is my partner actually shaming me? Um, no. Okay, so what happens if I soften a little bit? Um, or, you know, I'm starting to get defensive when my partner's giving me feedback mm -hmm. and that's showing up as, you know, I'm sort of going into a dysregulated state. And so I start to connect to what's going on there, like this deep belief that I'm inadequate. Giving feedback is just proof of that, as opposed to my partner just wants us both to have a great time and is saying, I love that. I would like it even more if, um, and I'm going into like shutdown and rage that some protectors taking over. Well, if I've, if I've done some work and I know, oh, this is this part that just, you know, feels so not good enough, was so wounded around feelings of competence. I can take a moment to, to kind of soothe that part and get that that's, that's old news, like, that's not how my partner is seeing me. That's not the intent. I mean, maybe it is if somebody is being critical and judgy, but assuming that's not yeah. the, the message or the delivery of the message, that's mine to work with and just go, oh, of course, that's that old thing that's getting plugged, uh, yeah. you know, getting triggered. The other way, which is a little more involved and I think takes a little bit of supervision to, you know, get some help for this. And then you can be a do it yourselfer mm -hmm. is that you start to sense what is the body expecting? What's it getting ready for? And if you have a sense of that, then you can ask the body, what would be the exact opposite of that? Mm. And if the body has an answer, and you can set that up with your partner to provide or deliver the unexpected thing. There's an uncoupling of the expectation and the truth of this present moment that starts to rewire if we actually savor and take it in 
which is why mindfulness is so helpful, rewire the neural architecture and actually shift some long-standing beliefs because we're filing, we're imprinting current data so we can update our files or what I sometimes call our sexual operating system. Mm -hmm. So that's literally co-designing a corrective experience to antidote some kind of wound. So what, what might that look like? Could you give like a, a hypothetical example? Yeah, like, so one might be as I'm getting ready to be overpowered. And we go, uh, you know, you invite the person who's like in a brace. The, the listeners can't see, but I'm putting my hands up in front of me and I'm sort of backing up and my shoulders are coming up toward my ears. So if we stopped and, and really studied that, even exaggerated it and really listened expecting and we got like to be overpowered and then say say it's you and I we're, we're in partnership and mm. you say oh wow you're expecting to be overpowered so what would be instead of that and I feel into that and I go well you would back away several feet and give me some space and if this is our that we're going to do this kind of work. I mean, this is not mm. something you're going to do in a hookup, you know, or, or first date. Yeah. That's that's why I work more with couples and long-term relationships. Anybody can have mindful sex and start to study themselves and bring this to or do this thing, but it's so on their own. But it's so great if this is our contract mm -hmm. and you feel compassion that you might go, of course, I'm happy to do that. So I'm backing up. You tell me you have lots of space and I'm just going to stay put and I'll stay here as long as your body needs me to stay and then a breath comes in I'm just imagining it and I'm breathing more freely mm -hmm. my arms come down temperature changes my nervous system does a reset and I start to catch up to the mm -hmm. truth that actually with you, I mean, there may be moments that I do feel a little overpowered and I might need to say, loosen your wrists or give me a little space or let's adjust and take change positions. It's not like forevermore, you've got to stay five feet away and be ultra careful. That again would be oppressive and stymie mm -hmm. our erotic expression. But if we know that this kind of adjusting can happen any time to uncouple this idea of if I if I'm not on alert, I'll be overpowered, or this is what's coming next mm -hmm. when I see that look in your eye or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Is that yeah. helpful as no, an example? Definitely, definitely, definitely. And it it's just coming to me. So we, you know, we start out by saying the the sexual encounter is sort of a microcosm of the relationship. And if we if we go back to this metaphor of, of running a race, right? It's like and most of society, we, you know, I think it's safe to say we, we approach sex as if it were a race. It's just like start, finish. We know where we're going. We know the best way to get there. And like, we're off. And I, and I think a lot of times we approach relationships in the same way. You know, it's kind of like we choose our person. It's like, okay, this is it. We'd like, you know, we get married or we make our commitment. We buy our house, we have the kids. And then it's like, go. And we just, okay. you know, maybe we wake up five years later, 10 years later, I'm like, what the hell is this? You know? Right. Um, right. 
David Byrne song. How did I get here? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, and, and I guess it seems to me like the underlying mechanism is obviously there, there are differences, but, but in some sense it's very similar, which is a, a part of it is, is a sort of assumption that if it's love and if it's passion, it should just work. Uh-huh. Right. That's, you know, and if I talk about it, it's evidence that it's not working. And there's this almost this idea of like, well, if I have to work on this, then it's not really love, you know? And so we don't talk about it. We don't work on it. And it's a shit show, you know, um, sooner or later. That's what happens in, in the bedroom and outside of the bedroom, you know? And, and, you know, when you were going through the list of the things of, you know, reasons why we might stop, it seemed to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's, it's basically, it seemed to me anytime we're not in spontaneous joy you know anytime we deviate from that it's like hold on let's well i'm gonna i'm gonna say something to contradict that in a minute but i i don't want you to lose your flow keep going okay okay well so we'll we'll put parentheses around that more or less something something like that and i guess i'm just curious of like could we then export that out into the relationship Mm -hmm. and it's like anytime we're not in spontaneous joy flow whatever however you're going to correct me um could we plug that into to the relationship as a whole and Mm -hmm. and again it's not about the relationship has to be perfect we assume that it's not going to be but when it gets out of alignment you know to have have a similar level of commitment to being mindful to being present and to working with each other to help get back into that flow when we're yeah. out, not just in yeah. the bedroom, but, you know, with work, kids, whatever it is, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's, so, I mean, I guess the larger context for people who haven't read your book and everyone should, it's a great book, but there's, you know, you, you talk about sort of three stages of a relationship and stage one is, you know, we we're all excited and there's tons of sexual energy and everything just works. And uh, what do people call that? The and Enchantment. Oh, yeah, what do they and, call it? Uh, new, new NRE, new relationship energy. New relationship energy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. whatever. And then stage two is what you know happens six months or a year later, where it's kind of just on autopilot and the the sort of slow decline that you talked about. And then it, it's it seems like most of what we're talking about is trying to help us get from stage two to stage three, which is a more mindful encounter with a partner and sort of finding meaning and vitality and and joy. In, in a relationship that has already moved on to stage two. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. First of all, just meta reflection. I'm having so much fun because <laughs> you are such an incisive interviewer and you get so much and this linking and connecting um, is, is very stimulating. So again, I have like lots of thoughts and we'll just see what comes out. What I appreciated, first of all, was you your articulation of common myths about love that love conquers all if there's enough love everything else should flow and if we're having difficulties anywhere does that mean there's a problem we're broken is it your fault my fault you know um so and and with sex in particular there is this assumption that it's just supposed to fall into place and we're supposed to know how to do it, which is so crazy given that nobody talks about sex and the only places to source it is like in stolen moments and secrecy, porn, whatever, you know, and 
And so, of course, we're going to have questions. We're going to not always know what we're doing. We're going to hit some of those snags that I said are inevitable, inevitable over the course of the lifespan where we're like, God, I don't have a manual for this one, but if we love each other, it should be fine. Yeah. Let's debunk that one right now. But the way you said it spoke to what I think is the common, common perspective, which is why people see it as a fail and a stigma to get help or at least talk about it with friends and go like, hey, what are you running into? And have, are yeah. you experiencing this? Like it's shame, like it's a problem and it's not. This is just how it is. So let's underscore that. Let's also share some research that love and eroticism are two separate tracks. And the thinking used to be within my field, especially, especially within marriage and family therapy, that if we can rebuild trust, if we can build intimacy, if we can repair wounds, if we can get people communicating, then great sex will follow. And that's not true. And in fact, sometimes the closer and more connected we are, the more we de-eroticize our partner because they feel like family, it's like incest. And, you know, there's just so many dynamics there. So the, the, the current thinking is that we need to work on eroticism or tend. I, I like using the word tend rather than work on our erotic life simultaneous to whatever we're doing to support our love relationship. And that couples that are having a relatively satisfying erotic life feel better about their relationship overall. It's not true the other way around. You know, you may think I have a great relationship in every way, but the sex just, it's just not happening for us. In fact, I see a lot of clients with that situation. Mm -hmm. So, okay. So first thing is no love will not conquer all. There's not a problem. You're not broken. Now, the pause when anything but spontaneous joy is happening. Mm. What I love about mine, and then we'll go over to bringing it into your daily life relationship. What I love about mindfulness is that it teaches us to meet life on life's terms. We know that some days we wake up, it's rainy, and some days it's sunny. And so it's not like we pause every time we have a rainy day, the equivalent of a rainy day mm -hmm. sexually, like some experiences are going to be a, whoa, wow, what was that? Like in the best ways. And yeah. sometimes, whoa, wow, what was that? <laughs> that was like, I don't know. That was yeah. not our finest moment. So it's, so hopefully, you know, we can do some adjusting along the way, but it's not like I, I want to build some, standard or bar that every sexual encounter should be a 10 if we're at eight and a half like hauled up um, because the reality is it, it you know we're in human bodies our states change some days we're more resourced some days we have more energy sometimes we have more access to the erotic channel sometimes our relationship is in such a place that we can easily open to one each to each other and, and mm -hmm. that that the pipes are completely unclogged and sometimes we've been struggling we're under stress we're just trying to find our way into 
connection or it's been a while, it feels a little clunky and awkward. Well, clunky and awkward is natural if it's been a while. So it's not like, wait, what's going on here that we're not having this ecstatic experience. So again, I want to normalize that we have a range and the beauty of mindfulness is that we don't attach ourselves. We don't define the quality of our sex life according to our last time. Um, because then we're going to anticipate more of that if it wasn't good. And if it was good, we're going to be striving to repeat it. Yeah. And it's it's better to sort of enter, if we can, empty of any kind of expectation and just yeah. meet what's here. Yeah. Okay. So that, sorry. Uh, that, Go ahead. That's, that's exactly what I was trying to express with spontaneous. Like, I think that's, I, maybe I used it clumsily, but it's, it's really... Yeah, spontaneous it's, was fine. It was the joy that I was... <laughs> Okay. Okay. Questioning. Okay. I guess. I guess for me, joy. Yeah. I guess joy isn't the right word, but it's. I guess I, I find joy in spontaneity just in and of itself. Like even if I'm not feeling it and I'm sort of sad and upset, if I can express that in my relationship, that does bring joy. Isn't the right word. Maybe it's peace. Maybe it's connection. Maybe it's fulfillment. But I, yeah, I think it, spontaneity is is medicine in a way. I um, I hear you. I'm I'm very much wired the same way. That experience I have, if I can bring it and share it, and there's receptivity for it, and I can even learn something about it, uh, it starts to feel so rich. Life mm. feels so rich, even in those tight corners it can yeah. feel really rich yeah so yes yes and yes to this whole other question because that takes us right back to john wellwood mm-hmm. john wellwood was not specifically looking at the sexual channel at all i mean he does um give it a nod in some of his books and mm-hmm. and speaks quite eloquently around sexual energy but he was really looking at how do we use how do we you know, what most of us have been trained to source in a relationship is some kind of security, like I won't be alone or two against one. We can like meet life's challenges together. And, you know, you're going to help me meet my needs, right? Like Mm -hmm. I'll now have a companion, like somebody who will go to the family with me and help me get through that <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, walk the dog sometimes. So it's not always on me, you know, like yeah. it's a transactional kind of like mutual need fulfillment. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what the training is. Not that it turns out to be like that in many cases. Um, so what John Wellwood was saying was what if we repurpose relationship again to being about growth and in his conceptualization what interferes with our ability to transform through a love relationship are our love wounds Mm -hmm. our feelings of inadequacy not being lovable as we are the conditional approval that we mostly got And so even if we're with the most loving partner, we may not be able to take it in. Or when there's storms, like we don't quite know how to recover because we don't really have a way to halt the difficulties. We just have this romanticized view. 
Um, and so absolutely to, to bring consciousness, to not go on automatic, to make time, to really stay current with each other, to really see how is this for you. Um, I call these tending dates again, um, like erotically, I recommend tending dates, not just erotic dates, which I recommend, but like where we go, how's our sex life? Anything, and what are you discovering through mindful self-study? Or do you wanna do some mindful co-investigation right now? And we can do that with our relationship generally. God, it seems a little stale lately, or I'm not quite feeling you these days. You seem a little preoccupied. You might say, actually, yeah, I am a little checked out. I feel a little bit bored. I'm mm. a little bit bored with where we are. Things don't feel quite as juicy and alive. And I'm sort of resigning myself to that. Well, I, the way I understand um, the way living systems grow is that we alternate between growth and maintenance, growth and maintenance. And when we've been in this maintenance mode for a while, things can feel a little bit dull and somebody gets restless, irritable, um, unhappy, or life throws us a wrench. And that's the invitation to move into a, a growth spurt, to go into a growth phase. So if we're checking in around that, then we're giving us the best chance of sourcing the kind of connection, growth, satisfaction, love that we're wanting. Yeah, yeah. So as, as I listen to you, I'm, I'm having a vision of two people who are very committed to growing themselves committed to each other to helping each other to grow and i see this this interesting sort of contradiction uh, arising which is so so here's a quote from from you which i'd like to read which is the gap between what your partner can provide and what you need to source from within is where spiritual practice flourishes and so there's a part of me that's like yes like exactly right but there's also a part of me that's like wait a minute because for this to to really flow and to work optimally, like both of us need to be like committed, like significantly committed. Um, and if if one person isn't, that seems to complicate things a lot, you know. But at the same time, it's yes, it's an opportunity for spiritual growth. But it's it's like we take that to a logical extreme. Well, it's like well, then should I just try and find the worst part possible partner out there, and I'll just like become a Buddha in this lifetime? You know, it's like, where where is that balance between finding a person who is similarly committed and, and really willing to to put in the work and not just willing, but like excited about it and engaged in it um, versus, I guess, I guess ultimately behind my question is that I think my own personal sense, and I think for, for most people who I know, there's there's this sort of tentative quality to to any relationship of like yeah it's it's good but but maybe i could do better right there's this this sort of sense we're all sort of on the lookout to to one degree or another you know obviously different phases of life etc cetera, etc cetera. but it's like if 
if that is sort of the default setting of like, yes, being engaged in this relationship, but also being aware that like, maybe there's a better relationship out there where I could, you know, grow more, have more pleasure, whatever it is. How do you sort of navigate that, that terrain in terms of the ideal partner willing to put in the work versus the partner that helps me to do the work precisely because they're not doing their part, you know, how, how do you navigate yeah. all that? Yeah. Oh, be nice if we had a round table discussion right now, I could hear for, from several people because it just feels like that's one of the conundrums. Like it's almost like a riddle and, mm. and there isn't a clear answer. And you're touching on, you're touching on discrep, you know, just like we have desire discrepancies sexually, we have desire discrepancies around spiritual growth, right? Like one partner is all in and yeah. the other is, it's just not my jam, you know, or I can go this far with you, but, you know, um, that's about as far. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, what do you do with that? And, and virtually, interestingly enough, every podcast I've been on has kind of come to this question mm -hmm. about what do you do when one partner and the other is not so in? And mm -hmm. I, I scratch my head and I go, I don't know. Like, you tell me, because it seems to be a reality. It is something I see when I find two people who are similarly matched around this kind of commitment, I'm always awed and inspired and I want to bow to them. Mm. Um, so, so that's one thing, but then you asked about um, this grass is greener syndrome or, you know, to what extent do you put up with quote bad behavior just because it's your job to, to rise, to fill in the gaps. Mm -hmm. um, what do you do with sort of ordinary, just like wandering eye and sort of feeling like, could I do better? Like my relationship's pretty good, but could I up level things with that partner? Or And Esther Perel, I think does a great job talking about how um, it's sort of become enough to go, I could be happier with someone else. Like I'm mm -hmm. happy here but I could be happier over there. Like we, we're in a place where there's just unlimited choice. The old social mandates to fall in a way to stay in a relationship. And so each one of us kind of has to come to terms with, is this enough for me? Or can I make this enough for me? Is there enough juice, satisfaction, love, commonality that, um, gives me the resilience and the fortitude or, or the, the uh, I'll just stick with those, to deal with those places where we don't work very well together. My husband likes to say no two people fit. Mm -hmm. You know, there's kind of the, the myth that you're going to find someone and just like clasp hands and, and we, we're like such a get. And usually it's the opposite. I mean, when I work with couples, they're like, we're so different. I don't even know how we're going to, you know. And I was married before and in couples therapy with a therapist who, whose view, and this is a common view, was you're just going to import the same problem into your next relationship. So you may as well hang and try to work this out. And sometimes there's wisdom there. Like we bring ourselves and our history mm -hmm. 
to every relationship. And we have this uncanny ability to convert anybody into any decent partner into the worst aspects of our original caregivers. So they start playing the role we've assigned them beautifully. But I have to say, my current marriage, while it's by no means perfect and we have our own issues, is not a replica of, I didn't, it's a very different dynamic. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a really, it's a really personal choice that requires some maturity, you know, that goes, that's like, do I have, and everybody gets to decide. Not everybody has to stay the course in a relationship. Mm -hmm. There's so many love styles that we can choose for ourselves. But it is true if you want to be long-term with someone, however long that is for you, that journey, there will be this predictable phase where the glossy sheen wears off and you're seeing the matte finish and you're experiencing disappointment and all of the endless attention you got and the mirroring that showed you how magnificent you are We'll, we'll switch and you'll get a more accurate view because you'll be getting reflections of what's impossible about living with you and what's delightful and the idea of not fitting. You know, we go from this sort of like, um, you like orange, I love orange too. That was your favorite movie. That was my favorite movie, you know to, um, no, I don't like that. I don't want to do that. And that Mm -hmm. stage where we're coming back to home base and saying no kind of parallels the developmental milestones of what we call the terrible twos in adolescence, which are all about individuation and differentiation. We've gone from Mm -hmm. merge. Now I need to grow myself as a full human being. And it starts by rubbing and if we can, so, so to me, the amount of struggle and difference is less important than can I find meaning in that? Mm-hmm. Can I find meaning and does it invite me to stretch beyond what I would go on my own in a way that feels good? Again, mm-hmm. it's just like sex and what we were talking about scripting and different parts. It's like if I'm just putting up with things that are really not good for me, that's important to pay attention to. If I'm just wanting to be in that exalted new relationship energy lifelong, and when that fades, I'm ready to jump ship because I just can't tolerate what's going on here. If I want a long-term relationship, I want to start to learn how to work with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but for everything else, it's like, hell if I know. I mean, it's a conundrum. Relationships are complex and yeah. we're all stumbling through to, to know what's good enough or, you know, all of that. Yeah. But I mean, it, it does seem like what the answer you just gave can be applied to, to the same question of, you know, what if my partner isn't engaged? It's, it's like, ultimately it comes down to, is it, is it fulfilling to me? Am I getting something out of this? And And it's, Whatever the other person is giving, however it's playing out, is is it enough? You know, and yeah. and yeah, like you say, it's 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 an ongoing question. You know, and it's with our partners, it's with our job, it's with every aspect our of kids. life. Yeah, everything, everything. You know, every area, every relationship. Let's say, mm-hmm. and anything we care about. 
that we're going to be engaged with for a long period of time invites yeah. questioning of, is this rewarding? Is this fulfilling? Is it meeting my needs? Is it growthful? Um, does my heart open or close? And is that on me or is that because I'm not safe here? Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's just a lot of data to collect to come to those decisions. Yeah. 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 And it's, it's always in process, I think is the thing is it's, we can't just like put a pause on life and say, okay, now I'm going to analyze. It's like, it's new data is continually coming in as we're doing the analysis, it's affecting the analysis, this, you know, complex ongoing feedback loop, you know? Yeah. It feels important to name back to this reality perspective that mm -hmm. we're not, we don't, reach a level of mastery sexually a peak and stay there for our whole lives we don't reach a level of satisfaction and perfection in our relationship and stay there like life is this peak and valley kind of experience that models everything in life and as long as we're alive there's going to be the next challenge and preceding that challenge may again be boredom, dissatisfaction, restlessness. So I don't want to give a false picture that we're going to be wakeful, conscious all the time and in spontaneous joy the way I originally thought you were saying it. And that if we just pause and stop, study, and share, we're going to be like operating at this high frequency all the time because all of nature needs to have periods of rest of going inward of being still of going deep um of having some separateness and and those are not indicators and you know, one of the things we've been sort of putting the, the spotlight on together today is these aren't indicators that something's wrong or broken this is uh, like inherent in being human. Yeah. 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 And I think as, as we grow, as we mature, what changes principally is our relationship to that. And, and rather than, you know, having a nervous breakdown every time things aren't going well, it's like, Oh, okay, well, here it is. And I'm going to sit with it and, and we get better at navigating it. And I think it's, uh, I mean, we could even call it a paradox. I don't think it is, but it's, you know, the more comfortable we get with those those times of of discomfort the the less intense the discomfort is you know and it's it i think it's i mean it seems to parallel basically any discussion on on enlightenment right where it's we have this idea of like okay you sit under the tree you reach enlightenment and like life's over just pure enlightenment and it's like no you know yeah. no no matter where anyone is on their their journey they're gonna have moments of frustration upset but their relationship to that is different right you can feel anger without being attached to the anger you can feel the sadness without being attached to the sadness and it's like developing this sort of metacognition of where it's not even cognition it's, it's a meta emotional stance that just is accepting of the vicissitudes of life yeah, the, the Buddhists and what I, how I term it too, is disidentification. Mm -hmm. You know, we can, dis, I, we can identify with the anger or any of those things, or we can observe it and befriend it. And what you were saying about learning to tolerate and, and it's, it's sort of a process of befriending 
and cultivating compassion. And that's how any path grows us spiritually by cultivating these capacities, wisdom, compassion, love, uh, presence, and mm -hmm. so on. Yeah. Yeah. And to me, a really interesting sort of twist to this, uh, specifically in relationship spaces, is open relationships, where it's kind of like, it's like a wild card, as, as far as I can tell, you know, where it's like, if we're talking about, okay, we're in a relationship, and we're, we're getting sort of, I don't know, more and more in tune with ourselves, with our partner, and sort of weathering those storms. It's like, well, what if we just open that up and have other relationships? And it's like, to me, in a sense, it's almost like, I don't know, almost like Pandora's box in a way. It's just like so many possibilities suddenly open up. Um, and I guess I'm I'm curious how, well, I, I mean, I assume you work with, with at least some people who are in ocean open relationships. And I'm curious, like, how do you see that playing out? How do you see that either helping or, or hindering this, this process of passion and presence? Yeah. Um, well, I've seen open relationships work beautifully and really resource the relationship and unburden couples from having to be the all and everything to a partner. And um, the, the time that they spend together um, being in some ways more intentional and with more presence because it's not like we're going to be together any old time, you know, mm -hmm. if I have other partners too. Mm -hmm. And I have seen it be a bypass, you know, like you just said, it's too complicated here. Why don't we just spare ourselves and, you know, outsource our sex life, our sexual fulfillment elsewhere and of course there's so many different kinds of open relationships you know so some people don't even preserve the idea of primary but you can take this um practice into any committed relationship however many you have so that's monogamy is not required mm -hmm. commitment is an agreement is uh and the same practices can help support the kind of difficult negotiation, communication, time planning, um, or working through the issues of coming out or um, dealing with social stigma and all kinds of things that arise around being in another form of relating than a, a monogamous one. Mm -hmm. So it, it can go in all ways, always. Yeah. Yeah. yeah if it, was, I don't know, it was two years ago, maybe three, I don't know. So I randomly just like participated in some survey where they were talking about um, monogamy versus open relationships and, and talking to, to the guy afterward, he said, you know, it's, what's really interesting is people who choose to stay in a monogamous relationship almost always say, because they think it's more authentic. It's a, you know, they really want to work on the relationship. They don't want to get distracted with other people. And when you talk to people who choose to be in an open relationship or at least that he had spoken to, he said, almost always say, because it allows us to be more authentic and more present. And we don't want to just limit ourselves to, to this one person, you know? Yeah. So and it's, I think it's, it's really, 
yeah, there's just as you said, there's there's so many ways to see it, and there's so many different varieties you can really. Yeah, I mean, it can be stymieing. You know, it's like the the decision paralysis that we have when we buy granola. <laughs> you know, because there's like thirty five kinds, yeah. um, and we live in a world now where there are well, if you have some degree of privilege and you live in the Western world. Um, there are so many options around how you live mm -hmm. and there's benefits to that. And there's uh, the downside can be confusion and not knowing and questioning everything. And there is something about saying I'm in, I'm bringing two feet into this relationship. I'm sealing the exits when things are hard, we're going to deal with it together. And that means we're going to hold the challenges between us mm -hmm. you know more strongly and the rewards so yeah yeah, yeah. and again no, I, think... I, th I think we're in a huge cultural transition right now hmm. around relationships even sexuality um i'll be interested in seeing how things unfold hmm. yeah in the next 20 years i'll be very interested in seeing yeah. what's going on yeah no, and I think the what you said about you know the so many choices. I think I think that's exactly right, and it's in pretty much every realm of life. And you look at I don't know, just I don't know my social media feed at least. It's there's oh my god, just bombarded by advice of you know you have to work out this way, you have to eat this way, you have to sleep this way, you have to do this, and it's like you know there's no possible way to implement one one hundredth of the protocols that that bombard me every day you know and it seems like what yeah what we need or what most of us need is not another protocol or another formula it's, it's like we need to cultivate the ability to choose and to connect connect yes. with ourselves and and connect with like who am i and what what works for me and what do i need and it's like if you have that strong then yeah you can play around with different ways of eating or working out or having relationships or whatever but but so much of the way it's presented is like if you just do these things it will be all right and it won't and the, the person who's presenting those things if if they've come to them honestly uh didn't do it just by imitating someone else like they had their own deep process of really connecting with themselves and figuring out what their body needs and and then from that developed some kind of formula which they're now selling to other people but mm -hmm they didn't come to it through formulas. And so there's this, this really, I don't know, it seems like a mass sort of confusion of like people develop the formula, sell the formula as though it were the way, but it's, it, it isn't the way it never has been the way the, the way is, is inward and in, in connecting with, with who we are and what we need and developing our own ability to, to know ourselves, you know, and all these, these different strategies are just possible ways to do that. Uh, well, well, first I want to thank you for that medicine I think I needed to hear that right now. <laughs> Being one who has about five summits going at the same time and this, that, and the other thing. And should I just sign up for that now or this one? Yeah. Um, that um, it can be so distracting and that discernment process of, well, which is the best one um, as you're alluding to. And I, I, love, I love what you're saying. Again, I feel moved listening to it. Mm. There are so many paths to growth and so many options for everything nowadays. And we could actually go through our life just kind of spinning 
um, you know, sort of like being pulled into one thing after another, which is kind of how I felt lately, which is why I'm saying thank you for the medicine. Mm -hmm. And there's something so lovely to say, I don't care if this is the best practice or the only practice. It's resonating for me right now. I want to give it a shot. I'm going to dedicate myself to it because it's feeling right. And then I will use my own experience to decide if it's a path I want to continue or not. But I need to show up for a while mm -hmm. and be with it uh, and be regular enough to be able to collect the data. Mm -hmm. But most spiritual practices, including awakened to intimacy, they are not a one-off. You know, they're not like just take this shake in the morning or, you know, have turmeric and you'll, you know, never have joint pain or whatever. It's like, yeah. like you said, that under the Bodhi tree and just get the enlightenment. It, it requires something of us. And whenever we realize we actually have to do things even when we don't want to, even if it's just a little bit without any violence toward ourselves, but more remembering what's compelling about it, mm -hmm. finding our yes again and again. That's a, that's a practice in itself that any path that we choose on any level of our life requires that kind of staying the course yeah. before we benefit from it. And, and along the way, there are, again, so many distractions and possibly self-doubts. Mm -hmm. And I think that maybe is what in this day and age becomes also part of the practice. Like, how do I meet my impulses to go off and do something else or my self-doubt or my, mm -hmm. I don't want to, um, but I love that simple, clear, this feels authentic. I'm slowing down. I'm going to stay with this. That feels yeah. like an important message for all of us to hear right now. Yeah. And I think, I mean, as, as I hear you say it, it seems to apply equally well to this question of, do I stay in a relationship or do I leave it or do I open it up? It's like, you have to be in enough to get the, the information to know. You know, yeah, that's then, why I said before, there's so yeah. much data to collect. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So much data. Yeah. 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 So as I guess, um, as I listen to you talk, I'm, I'm getting a sense of your, your passion, your engagement in this work. I mean, it's, it's clear that it's, it's a big part of your life, but I guess I'd like to zoom in on that a bit more, if you don't mind. And, and really, I'm curious, like what, what draws you to this work or why do you do it? Or, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure that the best question to ask, but how well, it's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> Let me sip my water as I ponder. <laughs> okay. Mm. So in the latest rendition of my bio or, or one of the, you know, descriptions about myself, I, I said that I'm not a physical risk taker. Like mm. I am not going to be bungee jumping. I am not going to be, you know, bouldering or whitewater rafting. Like that's not for me, but it seems like where I do find some degree of courage 
is to lean into the edginess of relating and intimacy. It, mm -hmm. it, it takes as much courage. It is edgy. Yeah, often more. And Yeah. And I can say that I am a master of hiding, right? Like we do things that support our own unfolding. And I, uh, sexuality is so naked, as I said before. I call it mm -hmm. the naked path of awakened intimacy. And it's so ripe with healing potential because so many things are knitted around how desirable we feel, how lovable we feel, how empowered we feel, how free we feel, how safe we feel. So it, it sort of gives us like a window into our unique world as a human and all of human experience in a way, which means it's perpetually interesting to me. Mm -hmm. Like I said, I'm not quite as interested in genital anatomy and technique and how to support people in having whole body orgasms. Like I think all that is worthwhile, especially clitoracy. We're learning so much more about the clitoris and, and like that we, than we ever knew. It's like mm -hmm. a revolution. The clitoris is having its heyday and I'm so <laughs> for it. I'm so for it. And um, that's just not, you know, the realm of the, the sort of the physical realm is less interesting to me than meaning. Mm -hmm. And everybody makes meaning around sex in different ways. It's an endless exploration with the meaning. Like what does sex mean to us? What is relationship mm -hmm. and love? What, what does it mean when a relationship gets complicated? Um, what does it mean to really study what's going on inside? What does it mean to work with a body memory, right? And, and meaning is such a, it, it's like a limitless place of exploration. Mm -hmm. So for me, particularly as I'm getting older, if I'm serious about wanting to tend my erotic life and open to possibilities that don't fit necessarily what my sex life looked like 5, 10, 15, 20, 30, or many more years ago, um, then I go more to the meaning level rather than the physical level. You know, it's not just about a sensation. It's about an experience I want to have. Mm. And if I want to have that experience, which I can potentially have at any time, and I'm not having that experience, what is stopping me? And starting to explore that requires as much courage, again, as potentially, you know, jumping out of an airplane. Like it, it, it is... It can be confronting and it's also heart opening because of the compassion I think it requires to, to look there and the vulnerability. Mm -hmm. So that's what keeps me endlessly engaged with the erotic channel and also getting that while um, 
some of uh, many sex therapists believe that we have like an erotic or arousal template or blueprint, you know, that there are things that turn us on more strongly than others. Mm -hmm. And some of those things are pretty hardwired. They don't really change, but we can always wire in more and expand mm -hmm. more and widen our erotic potential, even just by going back to Tantra, really sensing, even with the fingers not touching, that connection and feeling the ripples through our whole body. Um, so, so that involves working with our consciousness. And I forgot to say, and I should have said this like in the first sentence of our conversation is that's what turns me on. That what we experience has so much to do with our consciousness. What again are our, mm. our, our expectations? How are we conceptualizing this? Mm. What meaning, how present? Um, and we can work on our consciousness forever. And that excites and inspires me. That's what keeps me engaged with this work. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you for that. I guess I'm I'm curious to hear how does working with other people play into that? Because from what everything you've said, it's like I could see you sort of being on your journey with your partner or partners or whatever and, and exploring all of those realms, but it's also your profession. And I mean, you've studied, I don't know how many degrees you have, yes. you know, you've, you've been at it for a long time and, and it's not just a, a, a purely personal practice or like part of your personal practice is helping other people in their personal practice, Yeah, you know, and, and how do those engage for you? How do you see that? Yeah. Connecting? Well, first of all, I want to say that I've led a lot of workshops and training courses back to this business about the discrepancy between partners mm -hmm. where one person, because they're not specifically tailored to couples. So mm -hmm. somebody goes through this experience and goes, Oh my God, this was so transformational and growthful. I wish my partner could have been part of it. I'll never be able to transmit what happened here. I don't know how to bring it home. And when I started doing couples retreats, I experienced so much satisfaction because both couples were getting the same download and engaging with each other throughout. So there wasn't this massive yawning gap to try to close um, where it's sort of like, well, you had to be there. They are there. And so yeah. then I could see people get so much more traction, so much more mileage when they engage together in some of these practices. And when people, of course, started to say, God, this is what we needed. This is so helpful. This is really shifting things. And in a bigger way, like the way they're mm -hmm. talking with their kids about sexuality, the way they're um, oriented towards pleasure and possibility, that kind of feedback and seeing that transformation um, has been remarkably, remarkably satisfying. So, and and the other thing that I'll add there, I'm a psychotherapist, so I believe in psychotherapy and I, a lot can happen in psychotherapy and a lot can happen in psychotherapy to address something that happened last week between a couple. Mm -hmm. But there's something particularly special about equipping people with the skills that they can use 
when they're having a sexual experience and something comes up because I'm not there and they can't always wait two weeks until their next therapy appointment. So to teach couples some of these skills and, and practices gives them the confidence that when they, to support them in having more of the kinds of experiences they want and when they're running into snags, how to address that in a way that's collaborative, loving, and helpful. Mm -hmm. So that's what I love about working mm -hmm. with others and in particular, and particularly couples around this mm -hmm. work. Yeah. And if, it, hmm. I guess, what is it that you love about that? I mean, like, imagine I'm an alien. I have yeah. no understanding of, of humanity. I, I use that you... <laughs> language sometimes where I'm like, tell yeah. me what's happening inside of you. Like, pretend yeah. I don't have a human body. How would you language yeah. that? Yeah. So like, so like, why do you, why do you care if other people have a better sex life? Like, how does that, how does that impact you? You know, or a better relationship? Or more self-awareness, which is yeah. what lights me up the most. Yeah. I think it gives me a kind of belonging to the human race hmm. that I, I don't always feel, you know, like when I go in there and I meet, say if I do a couple's retreat and I see hmm. people like filled with dread on the, at the onset, it's very common. Yeah. You know, people are yeah. not like going, yay, we're going to go look at this <laughs> stuff unless they live in California. I mean, not everybody <laughs> is game to yeah. go into those edgy places. And I, I've taught in many different places some of this work. So there's this collective sigh of relief when somebody opens up about something they're experiencing and others go, you too? Like, I thought we were the only ones. Mm -hmm. and, and, and you can feel that this deepening in connection starts to happen within the group and my system relaxes too. And mm -hmm. there's just this sense of awe that I experience. I experience so much. I, I experience awe all the time when I see people go to places together or discover something about themselves. But this mm. sweetness happens that this 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 sweetness to feel like, oh, this is our common humanity. We're all in this together. And mm -hmm. I, I only really get to source that particular quality of sweetness when I am together with other people, mm -hmm. whether it's a couple or someone's giving me the privilege of of. of Accompany them, accompanying them into the inner sanctum of their their world. Um, it always feels like, oh, thank you, and I now have more access to my own world and more more connection. So it, it's mm -hmm. definitely a, a kind of reciprocal 
bi-directional kind of gifting. Just yeah. like I'm getting in this exchange. I mean, you've asked me some questions that really invite me to see where I stand on some of this. And um, the synergy is, mm. is, is kind of fuel for me. I love it. So yeah. belonging, safety, synergy, awe. I'm, I'm sure I could find more words to express the feeling that happens in those spaces with others. Yeah, no, that's great. That's great. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, it seems like there's, um, I mean, it's it's common in the, the psychedelic experience, you know, of the sense of life yearning to reunite with itself. And it's like, any way that can happen, it's a win. You know, it can be conversation, it can be sex, it can be learning, it can be, there's so many ways, but it's like when we recognize the life in others, like the more deeply and intimately we do that, the more fully we ignite our own life, you know? And it's just, mm. yeah, I think that's that's where it's at. You know, wow. It's a lot of power there. That's beautifully said. okay wow well thank you very very much really appreciate this conversation yeah so do i thank you for having me yeah yeah and if there, is there anything else you'd like to to add or kind of no i think i think we've wrung the juice out of the lime um <laughs> definitely definitely yeah oh, that was great i really really appreciate it yeah really you're a great it. interviewer so thank you oh. Oh, thank you. Yeah, no, I think it's uh, it was definitely a, it was a mutual creation. We did it together. So. Beautiful. <laughs>